It's who you are. Isn't that beautiful? Wasn't that awesome worship? I'm not going to subject you to any singing. I'm a terrible singer. I've done it once and people cried, so let's not do it again. Before we start in the Word of God this morning, I want to I just spend a moment quickly praying. There's a lot of us here that are involved with university campuses around the, around the country. We're going to pray for the university campuses first and foremost. And then secondly, we've got some students here who are either writing exams or they're about to write exams or they're halfway through the matric finals. And I want to just cover them in prayer. Can we do that before we start the Word of God? Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to get together. And Lord, this morning we lift up those in our community that are either involved with education or are studying, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for the hope that you have for them, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for the talents, the abilities, and the skills you've given them. We pray, Father God, that at this time, Lord God, we pray for peace. We pray, Father God, for clarity. And we pray, Father God, for your will to be done. We thank you, Lord God, for courageous decisions. We thank you, Father God, for for just amicable ways of moving forward. And we thank you, Father God, that you would be glorified through this, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father God, for each and every campus in our country, Father God. And we pray, Lord, that you would would come through in amazing ways on our campuses. I pray for protection over the university students and over the lecturers, Father God, and all of the staff. We thank you for that. And then, Lord God, I pray for all of those in our community, Lord, that are writing exams and studying I thank you, Father God, for these incredible young people that you've gifted us, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that there are lights in this community. I thank you, Father God, that there are amazing young men and women. And Father God, as they write, I thank you, Lord Jesus, even in this, Lord, Father God, that you would show them faithful, and Father God, that you would, you would be with them and you'd be in, in their minds and in their hearts. I pray for peace to be upon them, and I thank you, Father God, that as they write these exams, they would be a testimony to their friends of how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I also pray for the moms and dads who are having to subject them to studying. Good luck to you. I'm a little before that time, so Chantal, I think of you. Amen. This morning, I get to share on the last in the 10 series, and um, well, it's not technically the last, but Pierre took the last one, so I got number nine. But um, it's really cool that I get to share on it, because I think the last few weeks have been just a wonderful reminder of God's perfect love. I don't know about you, but sometimes these... Almost the symbols of the faith are just so deep that we get to re- reevaluate and reestablish what it is our faith is all about. Now, about 10 years ago, my wife and I were in the, the United States in a place called Washington, D.C., in a place called Capitol Hill. So it's, it's a bit like the Senate, a bit like Parliament, except they don't sleep there. And, um, and um, I'm not saying anything about American politics, but what is quite interesting is at the front of the Senate, there's where the president stands, and and he stands here, and on the front, in a a piece of marble, it says, in God we trust. And I think that's such an interesting interesting concept, is that that nation was founded on the word of God. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, but if we can get that right, what an amazing bedrock. The second interesting thing that I looked at was around the the hall, almost at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, are different um, sort of pictures of different lawgivers that have been through the generations. Now, if you can imagine if I'm Barack Obama, I'll blast you, people. At the back, right at the back over there, is a picture of Moses. And um, well, what's interesting about that is they believe that was the original lawgiver. And so often I think we, we look at these things and we, we blase about them. But if we go back in history, it's amazing what God has done is that right at the beginning of time, He set things in motion. And even the laws that we live on as a country and as a people are set about by God's word. Encouraging? So this isn't something new. 
it's something that's been around for ages and ages. So, this morning, I want to tell you perfect law comes from perfect love. And again, please remember that these commandments were written to the whole nation of Israel as children. They weren't slaves anymore. They'd come out of generations and generations of slavery. And these commandments were given to them when they'd left their time of slavery and they were free men and free women. And this morning, I want to say that God is addressing you as free men and as free women and as children of God. Before we address any of the laws, he's given you salvation. And that this morning, before we read them again, know this, God loves you and that he thinks you're amazing and that you are his children and that you are beloved. This morning, I couldn't have asked for a better setup because it's who you are. God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And before you do anything for God, he's saying, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. And these laws help you to fulfill that. Have I got that? Is that cool? Right. So with that as a bit of a background, won't you look at the, the board? The board. I feel like a teacher. Um, we're going to read this, the, the, the commandments that we've gone through for the last 10 weeks. It's long, but you can read along with me. Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Thanks, Graham. And God, God Almighty, spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Thank you for not falling asleep. What an amazing passage of scripture. And over the last 10 weeks, we've gone through all of those. We've gone that God is above all, that our Lord, our God is, is first and foremost. He is above all. That we should worship God and have no idols, that he should be our prime focus. That we should not use the name of God irreverently, that we should carry his name well. That we should rest and we should observe the Sabbath, Kate. Thank you. That we should honor our mom and our dad, that, it be good, that we may live long in the land. That we should not murder, that we should not commit adultery in our minds or in our actions. That we should not steal, and we should not covet what our neighbors have. So today I get to speak on the final of those commands, which is referenced again in Matthew 12, verses 36. It says, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. A 
Nah. Ena. Lots of verses may seem very, very simple, but the implications of these expressions are usually quite big. So Matthew 20, uh, Exodus 20, verse 16, it says the following, you shall not bear false witness. In other, in other terminologies, it says you shall not lie. So remembering again that the book of Exodus is a book about freedom and how God took people out of slavery and he brings them into the promised land. This is one of those things where you think, oh God, how, how does this work? Why should I not bear false witness? And where does this even come from? Now, before we get to that, let's go right back to the very beginning of time in Genesis 3. If you've got a Bible, turn with me there. If you don't, take you version. If you don't, look at the person next to you. Genesis is an amazing book where God had given, created the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve were living there in absolute bliss. They were having a big jaw. They were doing what they were created to be. They were working they were naming the plants and naming the animals. Those were good jobs. And everything was as it, as it was supposed to be. And in Genesis 3, we pick up the story. The serpent was the craftiest, craftiest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. So the serpent came to the woman and he said, Really? He asked. None of the fruit in the garden? God says you mustn't eat any of it? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not to eat. God says we mustn't eat it or even touch it or we will die. That's a lie, the serpent hissed. You'll not die. God knows very well that the instant you eat it, you'll become like him. For your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to distinguish good from evil. The woman was convinced. How lovely and fresh looking it was. And would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit and gave it to her husband. And he ate it too. And as she ate it, suddenly they became aware of their nakedness and were embarrassed. So they strung fig leaves together and to cover themselves up from the hips. That evening they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And they hid themselves amongst the trees. The Lord God called to Adam. Where are you? Why are you hiding? He said. And Adam replied. I heard you coming, and I didn't want you to see me naked, so I hid. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord asked. Have you eaten from the fruit of the tree that I told you not to? Yes, Adam admitted. But, but it was the woman, he said. The woman you gave me who brought me some, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? And she said, it was the serpent. He tricked me. She replied, so the Lord God said to the serpent, this is your punishment, and he carried on. Isn't it amazing that in the book of Genesis, everything was good, and Adam and Eve knew their identity as sons and daughters of God, and they were operating out of that identity and that peace and that surety of who they were. And in a moment, they were tricked because Satan bore false witness about what God had said. He tricked them with his words. And then what did they have to do? They got embarrassed. They had to cover up and put some fig leaves on. And then, they started, then the blame game started. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't me. It, it was her. And then she goes, oh, it wasn't me. It was the snake. And in that moment, everyone starts blaming and lying and bearing false witness. And no one takes any ownership. And the rest of it, as they say, is history. And for, from then on, we are now tempted to sin. We're tempted to lie. We're tempted to cover up, which creates an insecurity. That initial moment of bearing false witness took us away from our true identity as sons and daughters of God. So this morning, 
I'm going to, I've asked Uncle Fred for a couple of his things. I have a question for you. For those of you that don't know, Uncle Fred is a dentist, and he checks on us when our teeth are not so good. And so the question I have for you this morning is, how clean is your mouth? How clean is your mouth? Have a look at the person next to you and just quickly check how clean is their mouth. If you want, I have a couple of these things. They're silver. They look pretty painful. One that sort of makes you go, ah, and another that makes you go, ow. So the question is, how clean is your mouth? And how many of you need one of these? Does anyone need one of these to put over your mouth? You okay? When I was, a, when I was 14 years old, I had those amazing things called railway sleepers. Did anybody else have them? And you had elastics pointing in every direction, trying to stop your teeth from shooting straight out forward. And I had an amazing smile that was usually pointing forward, not, not down. And so today I want to highlight some of the crooked teeth that we have. Some of the crooked teeth that make us bear false witness. Those crooked teeth are the things that are false statements that we tell about somebody else with the deliberate intent of hurt and of harm. The first one I'd like to highlight is lying. bold face lies, big black lies or little white lies. Some of them you might think don't think have big consequences, but they all do. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, and seven that are an absolute abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Interesting that God puts lying next to shedding of innocent blood. And we think it's just a little thing, you know. No one will notice. I'll just quickly say a little lie. No one will pick me out. You know, it says in the Bible also that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He, he lies to accuse and to, to, cause, to cause harm. The second is false promises. This is where people make promises that they have absolutely no intention to keep. This is deception. In, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 8, uh, Moses approaches Pharaoh and he says, please let my people go. And Pharaoh finally says, cool, I'll let them go. And he makes a promise, you can, you can let them go. And as Moses leaves and starts to get ready to get his people together, Pharaoh says, actually no, no, no. They can come back again. And he does this over and over and over again. He's giving false promises constantly that he has no intention to keep. And in that, plagues start to come. There's, there's boils and there's locusts and there's, there's all sorts of destruction. And finally, there's the shedding of innocent blood because a false promise was given and never followed through. Next up is flattery and exaggeration. This is the sincere and excessive praise with the intention to manipulate. Ena. This is where you say something, but you don't actually mean it. It's deceptive encouragement. You know, God asks us to be encouragers in his word. He wants us to be encouragers, but he doesn't want us to deceive with our encouragement. So men, this is the moment where your wife asks, how does this dress look? Women, this is that moment where the man says, babe, is my hair thinning? Now, I'm not going to tell you how to answer those, but I'm going to tell you the following, is that God wants us to be encouragers of what God placed in the other person. And it's our job as the husband or the wife to call out that which God has put in there. And so encouragement is saying, what has God put inside of you? 
And how do I call that out? Deceptive encouragement is, is lying just to cover up for a moment. Um, honey, that looks da 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 you know? Take that moment to really encourage the character that God has put in, in that person. The next one is false teaching. This is the false doctrine when religious teaching is presented in a way that cannot be, provi- cannot be proved by the Bible. I often think in our day and age, we've come up with catchphrase Christianity, where we have these little sort of tweet-length scriptures or encouragements that actually aren't out of the Bible. And I'd like to say to us this morning that it's our challenge is that we should no longer have false doctrine in terms of how we teach. Next one is hypocrisy. This is pretending to be something that you're not. The word actually comes from being an actor. It's when they put a mask on their face and stand stood on the stage and pretended to be something else. Right now, I'm pretending to be a dentist. How many of you know that I'm not a very good dentist? Okay, you're not going to come into my dentist chair and ask me to fix your teeth because I'm not a dentist. And so hypocrisy is that we pretend to be something that we're not. Next one is half-truths. This, for me, is very convicting. This was an area that I battle with is where... Yeah, but I told them the truth. But did you tell them the whole truth? Did you, did you omit certain information with this express purpose of misleading the other person? And so often for, for many of us that half-truth is, yeah, but I, I told them what happened. Did you tell them the whole truth? If I think about it, if I think about Genesis 37, Joseph was one of the brothers. He was actually the favorite son. His brothers didn't like that. And they sent him off to go and kill him. And at the last minute, they, uh, they decided not to kill him, but to put him in a pit. So they put him in a pit. Some traders rocked up. They thought, actually, let's sell him. And they sell him, and off he went. But now they have to go back to Dad and explain to Dad what happened. So what did they do? They took his beautiful coat, they tore it, and they put some animal blood on it, and went back to Dad. Now, did they technically lie? No, they didn't lie. They said, we found the coat. And they, they dipped it in blood, and they took it back to the Dad. And they let him, let him assume that something terrible had happened to their brother. So often with a half-truth, we leave too much to, the, to assumption, and that's what causes deceit and for people to, to think the wrong thing. And finally, slander. This is arranging information to attack somebody's character, to inflict harm. So Matthew 12, verses 36, it says the following. People give account for every careless word that they speak. Now let me rephrase that in modern language. People will give account for every careless word that they post or tweet or WhatsApp. Because so often we vomit on our social media about somebody else when actually what we're doing, we're slandering their character. So, those are the crooked teeth. How many of you got some crooked teeth? I've got a few crooked teeth. I've got a, a whole whack of crooked teeth. But why do we have crooked teeth? Firstly, I think we have crooked teeth because we want to have personal benefits. We might not give the full truth because we believe that it'll, it's for our benefit, that we, if we extend the truth just a little bit or lie about a little bit, it'll make us look good. The second is we might want to cover up. We want to cover up something that happened. The third is maybe that we're very proudful people. And if I tell you the truth, what are you actually going to think about me as a person? And finally, sometimes we have crooked teeth because it's a habit. You know, that if we do something over and over, enough, enough times, it actually forms into a habit. In Jeremiah 5, verses 9, it says, A friend deceives a friend, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to lie. I think sometimes we teach our own tongues to lie because we just, it's become a habit. And we do it so long that we don't even know that we're doing it anymore. 
Let me give you this piece of advice. Katie and I at the moment are doing some building. At Hello. And uh, let me tell you what I've learned about building. I'm not a builder either, but I'll tell you something I've learned about building. Firstly, it takes longer than you thought it was going to take. Secondly, it costs more than you'd budgeted for it to cost. So, let me relate that to sin. Sin will take you way further than you wanted to go, and it'll cost you way more than you wanted to pay. And so often with these things that we think, it's calculated, I'll sin a little bit, but it takes us so much further than we wanted to go, and it costs us way more than we wanted to spend. But I've got hope for you this morning. That sounds a bit gloomy, hey? I've got hope for you this morning is that much like your teeth, they can get straightened. So often with our, our mouths, they can be cleaned. Um, they can be cleaned. Let me read you some scriptures. Proverbs 10, verses 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Psalm 40, 49. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. Psalm 141. Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep a watch over the doors to my lips. Psalm 57. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and I will make music. Psalm 40. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. So, my question is not this, how clean is your mouth? I suppose the second question is, second question is how clean is your heart because if your heart is clean I'd like to su- that's my mom by the way I'd like to suggest that your, your mouth will be clean too do you want this okay um, so I suppose the, the, the challenge then I, I have four things that I believe will help us clean our hearts so that we can clean our mouths. And the first is this, is that we should hear the truth. It says in Romans 10, verses 17, it says, faith comes from hearing the message, and that message is heard through the word of Christ. This morning, if I can exhort you, hear the word of God. How many of us spend way more time on Facebook than we do reading the word of God? I don't want you to put your hands up. How many of us listen to the bad news that is on the radio on the way to work as opposed to a podcast where we can be encouraged. How many of us, this is the only chance we listen to worship music in the week when we could fill our homes with worship? And I'm not saying we must be unaware of what's happening around us. I'm saying, what are you putting in? What are you hearing? What is going into, into your heart and into your mind? And I want to encourage you, put more of God in than you put other things in. Because then we start to hear the God, hear the word of God, it starts to go in. The second is we can hear the word of God, but we then need to know it. We can't just hear it, we need to know it. In John 8, it says the following, it says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amazing that knowing the truth doesn't mean you're not subjected to temptation and tough times. But knowing the word gives you um, tactics to be able to fight that. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Do you know that Satan went and tempted him in lots of different ways, but three of them was one was, Jesus was hungry, 40 days without food. How many of you would be hungry? 40 minutes and I'm hungry. 40 days, a whole nother level. And Satan tempted him and said, turn these 
turn these stones into bread. And what did he respond? He said, it is written. It is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The next thing, he took him up into a high hill. And he said, all these kingdoms will be yours. Um, worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms, Satan said to, to Jesus. He said, no, no, no. In verse 8, he said, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And finally, he took him onto the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, cast yourself down and, and ask your angels to look after you. And Jesus answered in verse 17. He said, do not put your Lord your God to test. When you know the word of God, I can guarantee you, you start to have an identity. Because you know who God says that you are. And he's positioned you as a son and as a daughter. When you have that idea of identity of who God says you are, you don't want to be like somebody else anymore. Because you know who you are. And when you want to be like somebody else, you start to lie and cheat and steal to get there. But when you know who you are, you're secure. You say, God, you made me like this. This is my identity. This is who I am. So the first is to hear the word. The second is to know the word. The truth. And the third is then to live the truth. Here's a hard one for any of us. Now, for those of you who don't know, I, I'm, I'm not a full-time church employee. I work in the business world. And every day I'm confronted with this, as to how do you live the truth? How do you live our conviction of our Christian faith without compromising any of our values? How many of you else battle with that? The last few months, we, we're in a great business. We're in a growing business. Uh, it's very, very exciting. But it's also very challenging because I'm having to say, Lord, how do I do this? God, how do I live the truth that I see in your word? Help me in this situation. God, I need your wisdom in this moment to make the right decision. And what I found over the last few weeks is that people don't expect perfection, but they do expect truth. And when we're honest, and when we're honest and, and true, it's amazing how much grace gets extended to us. But when we lie and we cover up, suddenly the whole thing falls apart. So you need to live the truth. It's amazing that when we say we live the truth, in the Bible, Jesus talks about himself as I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as Christians, living the truth is actually living Jesus every day in our workforce. And finally, we now need to hear it, we need to know it, we need to live it, but we also need to speak it. And so often we, we, refu- we refrain from speaking it. We think, no, my lifestyle will say enough, or someone else will do it. But you know what? Peer's not in all our workplaces, and we, we are there. And if we don't speak the truth, Satan has an amazing way of filling the, the silence with a lie. So what we need to do is we need to speak that truth so that the truth is heard before there can be another option of, of what is a lie. So Psalm 19, verses 14, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My challenge is this. Speak life and truth over your lives, over your relationships, over your situations, and over the hope that is within you and within your heart. I would love to know that our church is a truth-talking, hope-infusing, encourages who bring life and truth into each situation. 1 Peter, it's a great, it's a great, Bible, uh, passage in the Bible, it says the following, 1 Peter 3, it says, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If the band can come up. The question I posed this morning is, where is your heart? And for many of us, our heart might be in the wrong place because we believed a lie that somebody spoke over us a long, long time ago. That somebody else with crooked teeth said something about us as a person and that lie went down deep into our souls and we believed it. And I, I don't know if that's you, but some of us, that, that is true. And so often, you know, we even have a family perspective where you're seen in a certain light because of how you were as a kid. And I'd like to say to you that God sees you in a different light because God made you and he had an idea about who you were before time began. And even your parents who love you so much, they don't see the full picture because God's the only one who sees the full picture about who you are. And so this morning, we're going to take a little moment. We had it actually this morning was really where I want you to trade the lie that you've believed for very, very long and replace it with the truth that God speaks over your life. Where the lie is that you can't do it. God says you are an overcomer. And so often I think we, we believe that lie, we, we enforce that lie deep in our hearts. And God wants to take today and he wants to replace those lies with his truth. And secondly, I think the second challenge is the following, is that some of us, we have become habitual crooked teeth people. And we don't even know that we're doing it. And this morning I think God wants to make us aware of it. That maybe we're habitual in it. But God wants to say, there's hope. Because remember, he said, perfect love comes first, then the perfect law. And this morning is an opportunity for us to take a moment and plant a seed of hope back in our hearts so that our teeth straighten and our lives straighten up in line with his word. So this morning, while Helena's going to minister us in a song, I'd like you to really just take a moment and just, if you have had a lie that's been spoken of your life, trade it for a truth. Trade it for what God says you are. And secondly, if you are a, a false witness person, God's saying, you can be my witnesses in all of the earth. In Matthew, it says that you will be my disciples here, there, and everywhere. And to do that, God is gonna trade those words that you've spoken with life-giving, encouraging words. Is that cool? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord God, this morning, before we take communion, Father God, we wanna thank you, Lord, that your truth can go deep into our hearts, Father God. And Father God, that the great price that you paid, Lord Jesus, is because you love us so much and that we have an identity and a position as your children. And this morning, Father God, I pray, Lord, that we would trade the lies that we've believed for so long with the truth of your word, Father God, that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are cherished, Father God. And this morning, Father God, as, as, as we spend some time with you, I pray, Father God, that you would speak deep, deep, deep into our hearts. And Lord, we would know that we are loved by you. Amen.